to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Oh, now I might not need my glasses. I can see. Please join with me in prayer. God, as we approach your word and scripture this morning, as we unpack this confession, this final confession in our book of confessions, God, I pray that you speak through me, that it's your words and not my own, that you open our hearts, minds, and ears to all that you would have for us in this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning based on what we just read there in the Confession of Belhar, comes from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Listen for the word of the Lord. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups together. As one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward one another was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For 30 years, really more than 30 years, the nation of South Africa was banished, was banned from any international sporting contacts. They were not permitted to participate in the Olympic Games. From the 1960s through to the 1990s and any other international sporting events, the Soccer World Cup, the Cricket World Cup, the Netball World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, no South African teams were there. Because the world recognized, the world identified 
that apartheid, the system of government where the elite, the small, the minority white people oppressed the majority, kept them in subjugation, was wrong. And so they were banned. Now, nothing signified the system of apartheid in the sporting arena more than their national rugby team, the Springboks. They had a long history of excellence, They were always had been one of the best in the world, and yet for 30 years they were banned. And never at any time had there been a black person or a person of color that was ever selected, was ever put on the rugby team, the national rugby team. Matter of fact, most blacks and people of color in South Africa played soccer. They understood that rugby was a white person's sport, a white man's sport. So in 1992... When Nelson Mandela becomes the first democratically elected president of the new Republic of South Africa, and his political party, the ANC, takes power, everyone in the country, whites, blacks, all people of color, fully anticipated that that symbol, that sporting team, would be changed or destroyed. That somehow, even if we had a national rugby team, they would no longer wear the green and the gold, They would no longer use the Springbok emblem because that was a symbol of separation and apartheid. And yet Nelson Mandela saw fit to use that team and that symbol to unite the nation. He believed against the best wishes of the rest in his political party, he fought to ensure that that team remained, those symbols remained. He said, those boys that are playing are our boys. So much so that the nation bid for and were granted the opportunity to host the Rugby World Cup in 1995, only a few years after Mandela became elected. They hosted the World Cup, and miraculously, they won. And Nelson Mandela even donned, even wore the Springbok jersey. The shock of everyone in the nation was palpable. No one anticipated this. And yet historians look to that event, look to that Rugby World Cup, look to the way that Nelson Mandela dealt with that team and united the entire country behind that team as the moment, the catalyst for the Republic of South Africa truly living into and becoming the rainbow nation that they aspired to be. How is it? How is it possible that Nelson Mandela better exemplifies the unity that is meant to be found in humanity than did the church in South Africa? Nelson Mandela had every reason to be vindictive, every reason to seek retribution. He had been wrongfully imprisoned for more than 27 years because of the color of his skin. So it was within his rights to demonize and vilify this team, and yet he saw the need to uplift them and draw them together, the nation behind this team. 
Nelson Mandela, who didn't claim, at least overtly, a faith of his own, didn't label himself a Christian, more clearly demonstrated the unity of the gospel, the demonstration, the living out of the gospel than did the church in South Africa. Our final confession in the book of Confessions is also the most recent one. The Confession of Belhar was written in 1986 by a small group of South African Christians to gather together to say, this is what we believe. It almost exclusively deals with the unity found in the body of Christ, the unity that's meant to be demonstrated through the work and reconciliation of Jesus. It wasn't adopted by our own denomination until 2016. It was quickly adopted by the people of South Africa and spread to reform traditions around the world, recognizing the need, what it communicated. But why was it needed? Why was it necessary? It was necessary because the most powerful and influential denomination in the nation of South Africa, the Reformed Church of South Africa, saw fit to misread and misrepresent Scripture and develop weak theology to support the development of separate denominations based on skin color. The Reformed Church of South Africa said, we are a white church and we want no part of worshiping together in the same community, in the same building with people of color. We refuse to sit at the table together in communion. And they honestly believed for generations, they believed that this was God's plan. It was God's plan that the, that the minority, that the elite be separate. So much so that not only did they develop these separate denominations, they used this thinking, this poor biblical interpretation and theology to develop and affirm the entire system, political system of apartheid that kept the majority in subjugation. That's why this confession needed to be written. Now, that's South Africa, and any of us who are alive then or have read about apartheid understand it was wrong, and we, you know, think, well, that's specific to their context and their time. Well, how does it affect or influence us? Well, last week, Jeff alluded to, just touched on the unification in our own denomination. The PCUSA was only formed in 1983, about the same time as this Confession of Belhar was being written. And it was the joining together of two separate denominations, the PCUS, which was the Presbyterian Church of the South, and part of the denomination the RPC was a part of, and the UPCUSA, the Presbyterian Church of the North joined together in 1983. They were divided, separated in 1861. Guess why? Because of the inappropriate and wrongful scriptural interpretation and the weak and poor theology that affirmed and allowed for slavery. Not only that, in 1863 when slavery was abolished, 
And then the nation was united again after the Civil War. That same poor biblical interpretation, that same weak theology was used to develop and foster Jim Crow laws that lasted for another hundred years. That is our heritage. And it's not only the heritage of RPC or the Presbyterian Church that happened throughout the nation in all denominations and churches north and south, west and east. Now before we get defensive and say, well, I wasn't part of RPC then. I wasn't part of that denomination. My people came from the north. We weren't racist. We didn't have any of those issues. That's not the point. The point for us to understand what the confession of Belhar signifies to us is that even those of us who have been in the church our entire lives, who worship regularly, who participate in Bible studies and small groups and youth group and who read scripture, who are trying to live out the gospel, even those of us who call ourselves are happy to label, label ourselves Christians, we are not easily freed from selfishness and our own bigotry. That's what the confession reminds us. It was the church that promoted these things and they used scripture to do it. None of us is easily freed from that. But Jesus is calling us to be something more. If we recognize, if we admit that our bias is bigotry and selfishness and all that kind of stuff, what is it that God is calling us to? In the scripture we read, Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesian church. And he's telling to them, he's saying to them, you are one family. Where prior to this, there had been hostility and animosity and misunderstanding. You are now united. You're one people. You're one church. You're one family, part of the family of God. One holy temple. See, Paul recognized, Paul understood that disunity, that separation, that separateness, living life apart, well, that impoverishes everybody. Everybody's impoverished by that. And the people that wrote this confession of Belhar understood the same thing. That worshiping separately, that living separately, impoverishes all of us, that whites, blacks, people of color, if they don't know one another, they cannot experience the true identity that is meant to be found in the family of God, in the body of Christ. How can we love one another if we don't know one another? How can we bear one another's burdens if we don't even know what those burdens are? So the second thing that the confession of Belhar suggests to us, or reminds us of, is that the church is to be the living embodiment, the living example of God's desire for all of humanity. Every aspect. There's to be no separation, no distinction based on ethnicity, based on culture, based on nationality, based on gender, based on economic ability or education, political ideology, none of those things matter in the kingdom of God. 
Now imagine, put yourself, if you can, in the city of Ephesus. Relatively new church, new Christians, and there's little house churches, house groups all over the city, and they get a letter from Paul, a handwritten letter that's going to be delivered by a messenger. And so word goes out. This is a big deal. It's not like the internet where we get a thousand emails a day. When a letter comes, it's a big deal. Then the word goes out and everyone gathers together in the same room to hear this letter that's being read. And in that room are Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Jewish Christians who saw themselves, had a long history of understanding themselves to be the chosen, special, unique people of God, having a unique relationship with God. And Gentile Christians, those who by and large had benefited, had prospered from the Roman Empire, had done well as long as the Jewish people were kept in check. And here's Paul writing a letter to both of them saying, you're all part of the same family. The animosity that did exist there's no longer any reason for that. Jesus has redeemed all of that. So, I don't know if you like me, you've kind of been driving around the city at times, and you see two people in a car, probably husband and wife, something like that, and I have the thought in my head, I look at them in there and said, how are they still married? Because on the outside of their car is a symbol of disunity. It's a license plate. It says something like house divided. And under that are two symbols of Division I collegiate athletic teams. You know, UNC and Duke or Florida, Florida State or Alabama and everybody else. On game day, there's tension, especially if these two teams are playing one another. Paul is writing to this church and saying, there's no division in this family anymore. You are all on the same team. He writes another letter to a different church. In Galatians, he writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all united in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean there weren't distinctions between them, that there weren't differences. It just meant that those differences, those distinctions don't matter in the body of Christ. We are to work them out. Those distinctions and differences actually make us better. So we spent the last several weeks, Jeff has put together a fantastic, I believe, sermon series on this book of confessions, this big book. Generations, the entire Christian era of people trying to understand what it means to live as a faithful follower, interpreting scripture through these things. But they're meant to be more than simply words on a page or things we read and find interest in. They're meant to be impactful or empower us in a different way other than just reading them aloud together when someone asks, what is it that you believe? And we recite these words. They are meant to impact and influence how we live, what we do with our lives. 
Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, says this about confession. He says, confessions only truly become confessions when the one who utters them becomes responsible for the cause of the community and can no longer withdraw, but has to answer for this cause as their own. That these confessions only become real, only find reality when we are responsible for making them happen. That our lives are part of the cause to see them done. A different letter to the church from the book of James says, Do not be hearers of the word only. Do what it says. Live it out. That's what this confession of Belhar suggests to us. We're to be living it out. If these words are real, if we really mean them, it should impact everything that we do. It should impact the liturgy that we share on Sunday mornings. It should impact the hymns and the songs that we choose to sing together. It should impact the way that we pray, both corporately and individually. It should impact the preaching that comes from the pulpit. It should transform every relationship, both the ones within this community and those outside. If these things are true, if our lives are to be shaped by them, then it should also influence the way that we spend our money and other resources. It should influence the decisions we make about what kind of car to drive or what house to live in and where that house is located. It should impact how we work or what we choose to do for work. If we're a student and we're considering going on to further study at some stage, these confessions are living these out should impact and influence what it is we decide to do with our lives, what we want to study, because God is calling us to do something that serves humanity, that unites humanity. Every aspect of our lives are to be shaped and molded by our understanding. So Jeff is responsible for giving titles to all these sermons. And most of us kind of follow along and say, okay, I'll just go with that title. And he does a good job. So the title that he gave to this sermon a year ago, I think, was, What is God Doing in the World Today? I think it's a good place for us to conclude. This sermon series has been all about working through this book of confessions. But what is God doing in the world today? Well, the confession of Belhar reminds us that we remain broken, that we remain biased, selfish, that most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, what we live for is for our own comfort and our own gain and our own satisfaction often at the expense of others. We gather together in part on a Sunday morning to confess together that we're not living as God has called us to live. That's part of our tradition, recognizing that. But the confession of Belhar also reminds us that even in our brokenness, even though we're broken, God continues to draw us together, draw us together as a family, Unite us 
as one people, redeemed and reconciled because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And lastly, what is God doing in the world today? Well, this confession tells us that God calls us to work at, to be involved in, to make our lives about bringing this about, uniting the entire community so that a demonstration of unity, a demonstration of the transformation that occurs in Jesus Christ is evident for all the world to see. They will know that could only happen because of Jesus. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.